last week, which was at verse 11. So we're going to start Here's with another verse 12, study from Calvary Chapel. The Sabbath laws, uh, Sabbath law, excuse me. And last week, uh, as I was going through uh, chapter uh, the, the last or the first half of chapter 31, I should say. Um, one of the things that I mentioned, or was kind of a theme that I saw, was that it seemed to be a glimpse into the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. You know, just things that we were seeing, it just you could see the application and what it pointed to. This week, I think, really points to the life, uh, or life in the Holy Spirit. And so you'll understand more, hopefully, as I go through and share this with you. You might say, I don't see the correlation talking about Sabbath laws. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. And so hopefully uh, you'll understand by the time we, we get done with this message. So uh, verse 12 of chapter 31 starts with this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So this is the Sabbath law. You know, the Sabbath law is good, okay? It's good for us uh, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The Sabbath law is good for us. Uh, physically, you could look at all the benefits of taking a day off during the week. And uh, one of the benefits, of course, is reducing stress. Those of you that are in the medical field, you're probably very familiar with the fact that stress uh, causes all kinds of problems in the physical body. Uh, if you're like me and you're sedentary, now I used to do janitorial work, but now I'm doing desk work uh, on my uh, tent making job. And, and uh, so I'm sitting at a desk all day, or not all day, but part of the day. And then I get up and eat, and then I sit down again, and then I, then I study for sharing a message with you guys. And then I get up and eat, and then I sit down and watch, you know, maybe a television show, and then I get up and eat, and then I might eat a few more times, then I go to bed. So I have a sedentary lifestyle, and so uh, uh, taking that rest, uh, it, uh, it, well, for example getting up and moving around for me it wouldn't be just kicking back on a day off but you know getting up and moving around it reduces stress because uh medical i, I got these things there's this medical study it says that activity reduces inflammation and heart disease maybe you guys know that but uh so that's if you're sedentary taking a day off you know you go and do things you get outside and shovel the snow or whatever of course you get a heart attack from that lately but um and then if you're an active person and you're just going and going and going you sometimes you need that day off too uh to prevent exhaustion so i mean there's all kinds of physical benefits to taking a day off from your schedule and just unwinding and just unplugging and, and resting so physically a sabbath rest is good for us just like that frog um emotionally People say, or they've shown studies that people are more productive uh, when they take time off. 
Uh, they're more creative when they take off. So emotionally, it's better to kind of unplug for a day. Spiritually, it's also good for us. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 1.3. He says, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? And if you're a workaholic, you can't let work go, and you're constantly working and working and working, or, or maybe you're not necessarily a workaholic, maybe you're just trying to earn a lot of money. You know, you've got this goal, I've got to buy this thing or whatever, and so I'm going to work and work and strive and strive and strive, and, and that's all you do, and you don't have time for fellowship with people, with believers, with other believers. You don't have time uh, to, to gather together corporately to worship, to doing your part to edify the body of Christ. Uh, you, you know, you're missing out on that. And so it's good spiritually uh, to have a Sabbath rest. But here's the question. Is the person who observes a Sabbath rest, are they in better standing with God as opposed to the one who doesn't observe the Sabbath rest? That's a good question, isn't it? Because I think some believers struggle with that. One of the things here we see in verse 13 in particular says the reason for the Hebrew nation, uh, the reason for it, uh, the Hebrew nation does observe a Sabbath rest. He says there, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That word sanctified means to be made clean, to be holy, to be set apart. And so for the Jewish people to observe the Sabbath, it was to remind them that, hey, they're different than the Gentile nations around them. They're, they're set apart from the Gentile nations. It continues there. It says, therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. And verse 17, I think, is key. It says, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. It's a sign between the Lord and the children of Israel. Now, in Acts chapter 15, you don't need to turn there, but in Acts chapter 15, the church, uh, Gentile believers coming to faith in the Lord and, and, and Jewish believers coming to faith in the Lord. You know, Jewish, uh, I should say Jewish people coming to faith in the Lord. And, and so you have the church, it's mixed up of, of Jewish people and Gentiles. And, and one of the things the Jewish people, and particularly the Pharisees, because there were Pharisees that were getting saved as well as priests, they're looking at these Gentile believers and going, wait a minute, they're not circumcised. They're not observing the law of Moses. And it became a big issue. And so there were people known as the Judaizers. And they would travel. They would kind of follow behind Paul. They'd show up at a church or a city where Paul had been. And they'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute. And this is some of the things that they would say. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you're circumcised, you can't even enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what they were telling the Gentile believers. They were also saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to, command, uh, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So it wasn't just circumcision, it was keeping all the law of Moses. The things that we're reading this morning. They have to keep all it in order to be saved. You can't be saved unless you do those things. That's what the Judaizers were, were, were teaching. And so Paul, uh, you know, and, 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 and uh, the, the disciples, they, they, the apostles, they, they, had to, they had to, what are we going to tell the Gentiles? 
Because we got Guan Group saying this, and Paul, you're saying that, and we got to come to some decision. We got to come to some conclusion. And so in Acts chapter 15, Paul came down to Jerusalem, met with the apostles, and Paul was sharing the testimony of all the Gentile churches and how they were coming to faith in the Lord. And then the disciples and, and the apostles, they were praying and they were trying to figure out, well, what do we tell the Gentiles? And in Acts chapter 15, verse 28 and 29, it's kind of a summed up. This was a letter that, that they gave Paul to send, to go with them, and he would deliver this and read this to the Gentile churches. And this is what it says. For it seemed good, I'm just summing up the end of it. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So they prayed about it. They sought the Lord and they said, this is good with the Holy This is what the Holy Spirit wants. This is what you need to keep in order to be saved. And so this is what they said in verse 8. Uh, excuse me, verse 29 says that you abstain from things offered to idols from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you do, will do well. Farewell. That's the end of the letter. You know, there are a lot of people today, and maybe you've heard people say that the law, the Levitical laws against uh, homosexuality, for example, that it's contextual. They'll say, well, that, you know, that doesn't apply in our day, it was just in, it was just a Levitical law, um, and one of the things that I've heard people say is, well, you know, in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-two, verse eleven, it says, "You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together." And they go, "Well, you know, we've got people. You got rayon and nylon and leather. You know, I mean, you got all these blend. Does does that mean that that they're condemned because they're wearing? You know, they're, they're like, Pfft. and so they they equate that." That command, they say, well, that doesn't apply today, so surely the Levitical law against homosexuality doesn't apply today. And that's their reasoning. One of the things that I think is very fascinating about this, the, uh, uh, let me get down to where I'm at here. <laughs> I got lost in my nose, can you believe that? <laughs> What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, oh, oh, okay. I, I think I know what I was coming at with this. <laughs> um, so that Levitical law. So when you get to the New Testament, um, notice that the apostles, they didn't mention that Levitical law. Deuteronomy 22, verse 11, you shall not wear a garment. They didn't mention that. But they did mention sexual immorality. And so, in other words, the laws against sexual immorality, it transcends time. Because even the apostles, this is one of the things that you, the Gentile believers still need to do. So there's, there's, I guess that's what I was trying to say. I got lost in my notes here. Sorry about that. <laughs> Notice that in they, one of the things that they didn't command uh, the Gentile churches was to observe the Sabbath. They didn't say that. Well, make sure that you observe the Sabbath. That's one of the things they didn't say. They weren't, they weren't concerned with that evidently. When Paul was writing to the Colossians in chapter 2, verses uh, 16 in 17, he was speaking, of course, the, the church in Colossae was a Gentile church, and he was speaking to them, and one of the things he said there in verses 16 and 17 to Gentile believers, he said, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. 
What Paul is saying is under the old covenant, Christ's cast a shadow. One aspect of that shadow was the Sabbath law. Under the new covenant, we see what casts the shadow in the Old Testament. And the substance, of course, is Christ. The things that we're pointing out, and, and that's one of the things I love going through Exodus, I love going through the Old Testament, and pointing to those things that they, they point to Jesus Christ, or they're a shadow of, of Christ's work on the cross, or they were meant to prepare the Gentile, or the Jewish believers, excuse me, to come to faith in the Savior, to show their need for a Savior. There's, there's no way you can keep the law. You need a Savior uh, to, in order to be saved. And so for us as uh, Gentile believers, this is just a, just a word of advice for all of us. Don't focus your attention on the shadows. Focus your attention on the substance, which of course is the finished work of Christ, Christ on the cross. Now, having said that, I've had many sincere believers that love the Lord Jesus Christ. I have no question. I don't doubt their salvation or anything or, or anything. I don't think they're in a cult or anything. But I've had believers come up to me and say, you know, I am really sensing that the Lord is calling me to observe a Sabbath rest. I really think I should as a believer, as a New Testament believer. And you know what my word is to them? That's awesome. Great. Go for it. If the Lord's laid that on your heart, that's awesome. Obey what the Lord's laying on your heart. But here's the deal. Don't assume that now that's got your, you know, now you're the, the, uh, the prophet that's got to go to all the churches and we got to get the New Testament church to start observing the Sabbath rest. You need to be convinced in your own mind. And if you are, that's awesome. Paul says this in Romans 11, or excuse me, Romans 14, verses 5 and 6. He says, one person esteems one day above another, Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. So if you're convinced in your mind that that's what God's calling you to do, that's awesome. That's awesome. But that doesn't mean that he's calling everybody to do that. Listen, if the Sabbath is a shadow of Christ, what aspect of Christ does it point to? And I think the writer of Hebrews gives us a, a beautiful understanding of that. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, he says, therefore remain, excuse me, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, let anyone, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. What rest is he talking about? If you go a few more pages over to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, he says this, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man... After he had offered up one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And what he's talking about is what's in John chapter 19, verse 30, that, that uh, we understand when Jesus was on the cross, it says, when, So when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Finished. That word means paid in full. The price for sin was satisfied on the cross through Christ's 
crucifixion. And so what rest are we to, to rest? Well, he sat down from his work. His work was completed as a Savior. And so for you and I as believers, we, we enter into that salvation, enter into his rest, and we don't have to work to earn our salvation. We can rest in what he did, the finished work of Christ on the cross. The church in Galatia had a, a real big struggle with Judaizers and, and, and the whole letter to the Galatians deals with legalism. You know, it, uh, the legalism, here, here's kind of a, 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 just if you want to get kind of a definition of legalism, it's, it's Jesus, because you need salvation through Jesus Christ, and something else. And, and you know, you can fill in the blank, whatever, whatever they're into. It's Jesus and, but for you and I, the reality is it's Jesus. <laughs> Plain and simple, it's Jesus. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul warns the believers there. He says, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you're, if you're going to go that route, Judaism, you're going to go that route of trying to, be, trying to become righteous through the law, then you've got you've to go all out. I mean, you've got to go all for it. You can't you can't just pick and choose. Well, I think this is I think this is what you know we need to observe. But that well that doesn't apply. No, if you're going to go that route, you got to go the whole way. And to make it even harder, in James chapter two verse ten, James says, "For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all." So why would you even want to go that route of legalism? So what's my point in this? My whole point is this. In John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. The Spirit's what gives us life. The deeds of the flesh, you try to, you try to do whatever you can to try to please God through your works, they profit nothing. It's only salvation in Jesus Christ the spirit gives life the flesh profits nothing we're going to move on here into chapter uh, well actually the end of verse chapter 31 verse 18 and when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony tablets of stone written with the finger of God so this whole time that we've been reading all these destruct or destructions instructions on the tabernacle construction all these things Moses was up there with God on on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights Verse, uh, turn to chapter 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat 
and drink and rose up to play. Now, that doesn't mean that they went and they started playing cards with each other. This the sexual immorality is what he's talking about. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation." fascinating when you look at verse 7 there the Lord's speaking to Moses and he says hey Moses your people whom you brought out of Egypt they're rebelling they're sinning man was that a test for Moses or what hey they're your people Moses that's what God was saying to him and then he says stand back I'm gonna wipe them out and I'll make of your descendants, of you, I'll make a great nation. Could you imagine if Moses like, hey, that sounds kind of cool, you know? Could you imagine if Moses had said, awesome, Lord, go ahead and go for it. What would we have today? Well, we'd probably have the Moserites, right? We'd probably have the Mobrus, <laughs> you know? Just think, I mean, well, I don't know. Well, look what happens here, verse 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? It's like hot potatoes, you know? <laughs> Lord's like, Moses, these are your people. And Moses is like, Lord, they're your people. They're not my people, you know? Um, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians... Speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit, inherit it forever." Moses here is going back to God's promises. My, Lord, remember your promises. When you read this, it sounds like God is like, he's like, he's fed up and he's ready to wipe out the children of Israel. And Moses here, God's doing a work in Moses' heart. Moses had the opportunity to say, yeah, Lord, okay, make of, make of my descendants a great nation. That'd be awesome. But he doesn't. So, you know, is, is God just like now he's changing his mind or what's the deal here? I think God's working in the heart of Moses to make him, to turn him into an intercessor, giving him a heart for the people that he's leading. And so Moses here says, Lord, remember your covenant. Don't turn back on your covenant. Verse 14. So the Lord relented from the harm which he would do to his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. And the two tablets of testimony were in his hands. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. 
And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel to drink it. Verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, remember Aaron was down on the mountain, or down from the mountain, or that's a movie, but no, he was, you know, down there uh, with the people this whole time, these 40 days. Verse 21, and Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, uh, uh, we'll, we'll stop there, and we'll get back to that. Did you catch what Aaron did? He's making an excuse. I know the women, they've, they've been going through, uh, we're in 1 Samuel, right? Yep. Same question, check the last, 1 Samuel. <laughs> I should have been paying attention. They've been just, you guys, you ladies have been talking about or studying about King Saul, right? And one of the things that King Saul did, he never took responsibility for his sin. He's always, you know, it's somebody else's fault. It's the people's fault, you know. I, don't look at me. It's the exact same thing that Aaron is doing. Making an excuse for his sin. You know, it's interesting uh, by the way, that's a lie, right? <laughs> the calf didn't come out, right? Um, I don't know about you. I can remember the very first lie that I ever told. If any of you can remember the first lie that you ever told, you ever thought about that? What was the first lie that you told? I actually remember the first lie that I ever told, at least that I, that I was aware of that it was a lie. And I was probably, I'm guessing, four years old because we had moved from Canada to the United States uh, when I was three, and we had just moved into this house. I, I know I was probably four. I know it wasn't, it wasn't much older than that. And I had a friend down the street, a girl by the name of Angela Walker. And I, her and I were like best buds. We played out in the yard all the time and stuff. My dad was a house painter at the time. And he would come home, and I remember one time he came home, and I don't know if their cans were sitting next to his car or what, but there was a can, a, a couple paint cans, and some brushes. And I remember Angela sticking the brush into the paint and then doing this all over the sidewalk, and I think over my dad's car too, and doing that. And, and then, I'm, I, from what I remember, I was like, I was the good guy, you know, I was the spiritual guy, like, wait, this is wrong. No, I, I remember her telling me, hey, if your dad asks what happened, and they, she had a little dog, and I forgot the dog's name. Say that the dog took the brush in its mouth and started rubbing, running up and down the sidewalk. See, the woman that you gave me, Lord, she told me. <laughs> this is a true story. 
And sure enough, I'm playing outside, and my dad came out. I'm like, Donnie, <laughs> what's this? You know, well, this dog did it. You know, and I, I, I remember getting into trouble for that. But anyways, I remember my first lie, and I blamed it on somebody else. Hey, sh you know, well, we blamed it on the dog. But <laughs> you know, that doesn't change, right? People don't change. Go back to Genesis chapter 3, back in the Garden of Eden. The Lord God came to Adam and Eve, and, 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 and he says there in verse 11, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave, of, uh, gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. See, we always want to make excuses, right? Well, you know, uh, we always have, there's, there was a good reason for what we did. Uh, you know, uh, well, I, I didn't mean to do that. I meant this. But even though I did this, you know, we always have excuses. And Aaron was no different. He gave an excuse. And I the, threw the gold in there and this calf came out. Imagine that. Here's the deal, though. Moses was the, or Moses, of course, was the leader of the children of Israel. But in the meantime, Aaron was in charge while Moses was up on the mountain. And as for Aaron, he had not restrained the children of Israel. That goes on in the Bible too. In 2 Chronicles 28, verse 19, Ahaz is the king of Israel. It says this uh, in verse 19, says, For the Lord brought Judah low, the nation of Judah low, because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Aaron should have been, he should have restrained them, but he didn't. Um, we, you guys probably, the women, you've talked about Eli. Eli the priest there and, and his sons that were, that were wicked priests. And, and Eli knew about the sin of his sons and he didn't do anything about it. He had not restrained them. And so here's the deal, Aaron, Aaron hadn't restrained them. And, and Moses is calling him on the carpet for that. It says uh, uh, in the end, verse 25 says, Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, verse 26, Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Who has ever, excuse me, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. 
Now therefore go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will, punish, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Can you imagine that scene? Aaron, uh, Moses is like drawing a line on the ground. You know, whoever's on the Lord's side, come over here. And, and the sons of Levi, the tribe of Levi, they, they came over on Moses' side. And then Moses says, fellas, strap on your swords. We're going to do, do some cleaning. And they went through and they, they, they were killing those that had rebelled against the Lord. That's a very hard thing to read. And at the end, when that's all done, then Moses calls the people and says, consecrate yourselves today. You know, and then he goes up and he's praying before the Lord and, and, and he says, oh, these people have committed, committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Can you imagine? That's the heart of Moses. Moses, if you're not going to commit, if you're not going to forgive their sin, then wipe my name out of your book. Blot me out of your book. You see, God's doing a work in the minister as well as in the people. God's doing a work. You know, when, when we get involved in ministry, and I'm not just talking a pastor, but any kind of ministry that we get involved in, the Lord's just not just using you to minister to others, but he's also doing a work in you yourself. Just as he was doing a work in Moses. He's transforming the heart of Moses. And we're seeing that as we're going through the pages where God's, God's doing that work in Moses' heart. Listen, what's fascinating to me about this whole chapter, this is the chapter where they officially received the law, right? The covenant. They officially received it. On that day, Israel became a nation. It was on that day when they received the law of Moses, they became a nation. And yet, even before Moses made it down from the mountain that day, the people broke the law. I mean, they, they, they didn't even, he, the, the tablets were fresh. I mean, it was just coming down from the mountain, and by then they had already blown it. They had already sinned, and as a result of transgressing the law, on that day, 3,000 people died because of breaking the law of Moses. I want to read to you out of the book of Acts, chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak uh, to one another, excuse me, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we know this was the day of Pentecost, right? The Pentecost was the feast. And yet this was the day that the Holy Spirit, God had, Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit, and he had come down and the believers had received the Holy Spirit at that point. They had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. That day was when the church was birthed. I want to continue reading down in, in uh, verse 36 of chapter, uh, chapter 2. Now, in between that, there's all these people, you know, because it was a feast day, and all these people from all these other nations were there in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. 
And they hear all this, they hear people speaking in their own languages and they're, they're proclaiming the mighty acts of God because that's what tongues is, it's proclaiming the mighty acts of God. And, and, and people are just amazed and some of the people are mocking and they're like, man, these guys are drunk. And Peter, you know, up until now, Peter had been pretty timid and stuff and now Peter's bold, he's been filled with the Spirit and he stands up and he starts preaching to the crowd. And by the time he's done, he gets to, I'm just going to, I'm not going to read through the whole part, but by the time he gets towards the end of his, of his speech to the people there, verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know with surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And it says this, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. The two different stories. You go back to the Old Testament there, the day that Israel became a nation, the day that they received the law of Moses, they transgressed the law of Moses, and 3,000 people died. Fast forward to the New Testament, to Acts chapter 2, the day that the church was birthed. The Holy Spirit descended on the disciples and filled the apostles. On that day, 3,000 people were saved. Isn't that interesting? That's my point. The Holy Spirit gives life. If you want to follow the law, the law brings death. That's what it was meant to do. It was meant to reveal to us our inability to keep the law. So why would we want to go back to that? Paul, in his letter to 2 Corinthians his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 6. Actually, verse 5, he says, Our sufficiency is from God. But then verse 6, he said, Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter. And when he's speaking of the letter, he's speaking of the law, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. I want to wrap up with this verse, Romans 8, verse 2. Paul says this, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So my whole point in this message is the Spirit, we have life because of the Holy Spirit. And, and for us as believers, if you, if, if, if you want to go down that route of, of legalism, I mean, you know, if the Lord lays something on your heart, I'm not, uh, who am I to say, well, that's, you, you know, you shouldn't do that? No. If the Lord's laid something on your heart and you feel convicted about it, obey it. Obey what the Lord's laying on your heart. Be blessed. But he hasn't necessarily laid the same thing on my heart. And, and so, you know, sometimes we can try to foist what, you know, the Lord's telling me this and you should do it. No. God bless you. Keep it. Keep it. But listen, the, the law brings death. And if, if you want to start going down that route... 
the word says <laughs> you got to go all the way. <laughs> if, if you're going to start picking and choosing, well, I'm going to start observing this, well, then you, you might as well observe it all because that's the route you're going. And the problem with that is it brings death because if you've committed one of those sins, if you've broken one of those things, you're, you're guilty of it all. But praise the Lord Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for us. He took that price. He paid that price for you and I, and, and we've been set free. And so the Spirit brings life this morning. Why don't I have the worship team come on up? And uh, if you guys want to 